Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to yet another week of the Colin Truesdell Jazz Jam. That first tune you heard was a tune off of my Quartet of Jazz Death album called Soaring, featuring Mr. John Dawson and Steve Langamo and Stefan Flores and our own engineer of the show, Mr. Sean Hanlon, who's in the studio today, making it sound really nice. He's also going to play a little keys for you today. Today is actually our first all-electric show and we're featuring a very awesome funk and fusion jazz all-around drum set player, Mr. Josh Berkheimer, in the studio today. So, Josh, we really appreciate you coming in, man. What's going yeah, on? Hey, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here, and uh, good to get to play with you guys again. It's yeah. been a little while, yeah, so man. looking forward to this. So we're going to play some tunes, but uh, right off the bat, Josh, I want to kind of let listeners know your background a little bit and what got you into sure. music what got you into playing drums at an early age yeah um well you know i think one of the things at this point in my life i realized is uh, life is definitely all about the choices we make um and for me i think the drums chose me <laughs> so it wasn't uh, the other way around like i think it is for a lot of folks uh you know i got started at a very very young age uh my mom says I was turning over the trash cans in the house before I was one, kind of beating on them a bit. Um, I'm going to trust mom on that one. They were kind enough to get me a little uh, Muppet drum set, I think, for my second birthday, which I completely <laughs> tore apart in about two hours, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I was very fortunate to have a dad who was a jazz trumpet player, uh, and certainly my my biggest and first influence in, in music. Um, he was fortunate enough to be... Uh, a part of an organization there. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, uh, and he was part of an organization that um, at the time was called the Jazz Arts Group. It's now called the Columbus Jazz Orchestra, and it is uh, one of only two organizations like it in the country that are a big band that have a subscription series. The only other one is the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra mm -hmm. in New York City. So um, he got to be a part of that as one of the founding members so from a very young age, uh, you know, I remember being like six years old and going to the airport to pick up Tom Scott, you know, wow, and like and hanging out with Bill Watrous and uh, uh, gosh, so many great players. And as a as a uh, as a young guy, they would bring in um, a guest artist each month to play with the band. So every month it was somebody different. So I got to be around some of the best world, most world class musicians at a very young age. Uh, which was very inspirational, um, and certainly my dad's guidance at home was uh, was really really important to uh, to my ability to be working to this day. Um, you know, I wanted to be downstairs in the basement playing to my records or whatever, but then he'd come down and show me how to play a bossa nova, <laughs> and I'd be <laughs> like, "Man, just leave me alone. I just want it." But I'm really thankful he did that. Um, you know, telling me about form and and um, uh, talking about how to trade fours, all these kind of things that, that, you know, I didn't know anything about, obviously, but he really hit me to a lot of that stuff at an early age and, and got me gigging at an early age, too, so I could practically apply the stuff he was teaching me. Um, and so for me, I think I probably, it was either seventh or eighth grade, I think it was, he uh, was kind enough to organize a jazz band at my school where I was at that would meet, I think it was maybe one one day a week at before school for like an hour and uh he he had already he wasn't a band director anymore he'd already retired from that um but he just he wanted to uh i know he was really wanting to still not just educate me but educate others and so it was an opportunity for him to go in and do that 
And we spent an entire school year working on one song as a band, and that song was Satin Doll. Oh, yeah. And it, so it was uh, definitely one of those songs that has stuck with me my entire life because it was the very first practical setting of learning and playing a beloved jazz standard that I'm sure most of us know it, have played it. Um, and uh, whether you love it or not, <laughs> still better know it so (laughs) but uh yeah so that was kind of my my introduction um into the jazz setting and jazz jazz world and and uh um you know my being behind the drums and kind of getting an opportunity to play what i'd learned and and what i'd seen um and so it kind of just it grew from there throughout high school uh where i was playing with his band playing for all kinds of different types of events um and I do have to say this with all the, the love in my heart for him, as, as helpful as he was, he could sure be brutal too. But you know what? Sometimes we've got to have somebody like that in our lives that kind of mm-hmm. keeps, uh, keeps us moving forward in the right direction. Um, and so, you know, he told it like it was sometimes. And sometimes, especially as a young kid, that was tough to hear. Mm-hmm. But he had me playing with guys that were, you know, his age. I was out. 16 years old playing with guys that were four times my age does that make sense math wise probably not three times my age at least (laughs) (laughs) so anyway awesome that's kind of where it's all got got its start i guess and uh um i feel very fortunate that i was able to get exposed and be around so many world-class jazz musicians at such a young age guys like louis belson um and then in the 80s moving into folks like dave weckel when he came into prominence as a drummer um, getting to actually be around guys like that, um, you know, Clark Terry, Maynard Ferguson, Doc Severinsen. I, I mean, the list goes on of guys that my dad got to work with. Sammy Davis mm-hmm. Jr. Uh, I mean, you think about wow. the, the greatest entertainers of, of any generation. Uh, he got to work with them all, and I got to be there by his side. He would drag me to sound checks and rehearsals and everything else, whether I wanted to go or not. And boy, am I glad he did because it, <laughs> it, it really paid off. So. Cool. Well, you mentioned Satin Doll. You want to play it? Sure. Absolutely. Let's do it.
Live radio, ladies and gentlemen, here on the KCMJ Jazz Radio Program, the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam. That's Mr. Josh Berkheimer's arrangement of Satin Doll here on the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam. Nice playing there, man. Hey, thanks, Colin. You too, bud. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in donating to the the station KCMJ, you can go log on to kcmj.org and go to the green Donate tab. And uh, and you can give whatever you would like to give. It helps programs like this and other programs that the station have uh, has to uh, to continue on. And um, we definitely need listener support. 
So also, if you're interested in this show, you can go online to Facebook and please like the show, the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam on KCMJ.org. We uh, appreciate any support on Facebook. Um, and then you can also go to iTunes and download every single episode we've got of the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam, including this show on iTunes. Uh, you should be able to get this show probably tomorrow. So hopefully you can come and, uh, and, and, and be a, an active participant of the show and continue to check us out every Sunday night at 8 p.m., 93.9 kcmj.org. Their show re-airs on Tuesdays afternoon, Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. So back in the studio, though, we're talking to Mr. Josh Berkheimer here. Josh, you you were uh, really influenced by your father, yeah, and uh, and so you know, I assume you were in high school band and everything. What, what was sure. so what, what was high school band like for you with the father that was very uh, active musician? Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I'll I'll never forget um, going and doing probably our first like big I don't know fall concert or something like that as I'd gotten into high school, and we had a band new band director um, uh, that. You know, nobody really knew him, um, but we were all hopeful, obviously, he was going to continue to to make the program great, which he certainly did. Uh, Jeff Shellhammer was his name. He he actually retired here a few years ago, and um, boy, the guy was uh, really terrific for a lot of students, uh, myself included. And it was interesting, I'll never forget doing that first concert, going home, and the phone ringing, and it being the band director calling my dad to get his, you know, input into how he thought things went. And so I, I, I realized then that, you know, my dad obviously was pretty influential with a lot of folks, and uh, I better listen to what he had to say. So obviously college was something he wanted me to do, uh, and uh, I went um, to Ohio State for a year, and uh, as a freshman got into the top jazz ensemble. I uh, was part of the marching band there. Um, actually, you know what? We were talking about high school. Let me back up just a bit. Um, high school, actually, you know, with my dad, um, having me gigging on the weekends with him prevented me from having to go and flip hamburgers at McDonald's like the rest of my friends were pumping gas. You know, it, considering how difficult it was uh, getting my act together so I could be up to par to go out and gig with him. At the same time, man, I was going out and making good bread as a 15, 16-year-old kid. You know, my friends are killing themselves having to flip burgers or, you know, whatever. So that was really fortunate. Um, and it probably kept me out of a lot of trouble because yeah. I was out gigging with him instead of running around with my friends. <laughs> so that was probably a really good thing, too. Now, I will say this. Uh, I was very intense. Uh, very passionate about music. I knew it's what I wanted to do with my life. And unfortunately, most teenagers have no idea what they want to do with their life. So I'm walking around the halls of this high school with several thousand kids that have no clue, no ambition. And I had focus and drive and a career path to pursue. Um, and if you were not as intense and passionate as I was about it, I'm not sure I was particularly nice to you. <laughs> and that maybe has continued throughout my career because I, I, I look now and I think, you know what? I just can't stand mediocrity. And I feel like I've pushed myself hard enough so that hopefully I avoid it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to 
place myself in situations where I avoid it. Mm-hmm. And I got into that, kind of trained into that from an early age with my dad having me play with musicians so much older, so much more experienced, that it put that much more pressure on me to be prepared. So, uh, you know, getting through high school uh, was was fairly easy because I just focused on music. Um, the band director had me involved in every possible honors all-state program that could be had and 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 uh um you know so i started to kind of get get a little bit of a name out there i think that that um some colleges were interested in i chose ohio state um and i went for a year like i said and 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 really i had a a good time in certain respects but had a very difficult time with other aspects of it because i just wanted to go and learn how to play the drums and college the college experience is not uh, well, at least at this particular school, was not about going and locking yourself in a practice room and really shedding all day. Uh, there are so many other obligations and responsibilities that I didn't want to have anything to do with, quite honestly. Mm. Um, I just wanted to rehearse, play the drums, get better, take lessons. I didn't want to have to go and take another math class. I didn't want to have to go and take an English class. I, you know, I get it. But um, so after that year, I was a little disillusioned about the whole school thing. And I took a break. Um, I kept gigging around the city there in Columbus and um, had some groups there that I really enjoyed working with, musicians I loved. And, um, and I do miss that scene because it's a, it's a nice, good scene of, of good players playing good music. Um, but I then was pursued by University of Kentucky to come down there and study. So I took the chance, went down there. Met some fantastic players again, had some more really great experiences. Um, and I got a gig out of that working at a theme park uh, for a summer gig, you know, a summer college gig. And I was playing in their country show. Um, you know, so thus far we've talked mostly about jazz because that's been, that was really my upbringing. This was my first exposure to country music. <laughs> and I was getting paid to do it. I was under a contract to do like five or six shows a day for I don't even know how many months it was. It was a lot. Um, I think all told at the end of that first contract, we did about 800 plus shows in about a seven or eight month period of time. So it was pretty intense. Um, but the thing was, is at the time I thought that I should play like I play regardless of what the style of music was, which meant I was going to play all my, what I thought were my jazz fusion chops (laughs) all over this, this country music. And it was a disaster. Nobody wanted to hear that stuff. uh, And it wasn't stylistically correct. And I just got my butt kicked. I absolutely got my butt kicked by it because I just didn't, I hadn't grasped yet the full concept of what my responsibilities were as a drummer. And they're, they're, they're simple, but they're important. You got to be the guy keeping the time and the groove. That's that's job number one, and then being able to make everybody feel good, setting things up for the band, so that you kind of well, you're driving the bus, and that's that's how I look at it. And I didn't know how to drive any buses yet at that point. I think I was still driving my little Subaru. So that season really kind of kicked my butt. But it also um, I developed a love of country music, and that kind of took me into a whole nother, another realm of, of uh, my musical career. So I don't know if we want to jump into that. If you want, well, let's play a tune. Let's do that. It sounds good. So uh, you wanted to do Chameleon? Yeah, this was another tune that my dad's group, uh, when I was in high school, that um, we had learned. Uh, and of course, you know, Herbie 
um, was a big influence uh, for sure from his time and obviously in Miles's group um, through all of his uh, his groups and continues to be such a tremendous influence. Uh, the guy's, you know, still creating great music, yeah. playing top shelf. You know, he's playing as bad as as good as he ever has. Uh, and I've gotten to see him live a couple times, and and this has always been a, a fave. This is Chameleon here on the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam. <laughs> Beep, <laughs> beep, 
Listen to the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam here on KCMJ.org 93.9 FM. Thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. We have Mr. Josh Berkheimer in the studio today. That hey, was hey. his arrangement of Chameleon. So, Josh, we uh, we learned a little bit about your your foundational background and then your schooling background, and then a big part of you is uh, probably about what's about to happen next in your in your timeline, right? <laughs> yeah. So what happened after so. Kentucky? 
Yeah, so I get I get down to uh, to Virginia and Bush Gardens there in, in Williamsburg, Virginia for this summer gig, and I'm playing country music every day. I got these two roommates. Um, One's the bass player in the show, the other guy's a singer in the show, and, and you know, I'm really kind of resisting the whole thing, to be perfectly honest. I kind of, we certainly did not listen to country music growing up in my household. It was jazz and classical and, you know, horn bands like Blood, Sweat, and Tears and Chicago and Tower Power, things like that. And so I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to any of this kind of stuff, and uh, I was probably kind of a little bit of a snob. Um, it took me that whole summer there to really kind of start to figure out what it was all about. And at that particular time, this would have been uh, 1992, uh, the whole scene in Nashville was really exploding. Garth Brooks had uh, kind of come out at that point, and it was creating a, um, a new environment in that town that was uh, really exciting. Um, and at the end of that particular contract, it was a decision of, do I go back to school? Or do I keep doing this? And I thought, you know, I can go back to school. I can work my tail off. I can get that piece of paper that says I can go out and play. Or I can just go out and play. <laughs> so there are two schools of thought to it. I chose to not go back and kind of throw myself headfirst into the music scene, into the deep end, and make the move to Nashville at age 21. Uh, boy, was I dumb. <laughs> I was under the delusion <laughs> that I was going to move to Nashville and right away, boy, Garth Brooks was going to hire me. I was just certain of it. So for six months, I starved and realized um, I needed to get some more things together. And while I was at uh, Bush Gardens, I had, uh, you know, made some really great friends, some good musical contacts. Um, and I went back did another season there at Bush Gardens uh, and with a much different mindset about, um, you know, just how to approach the gig and gigs in general for that matter. Um, and out of that, I started doing uh, some cruise ship gigs. Uh, I'd met some contacts with that um, and start, started, uh, in fact, it's, I'll, I'll never forget the morning I got three phone calls from three different cruise lines in 15 minutes time. It was like they'd all gotten my promo package at the same second. And the minute they got done listening to it, they all called me and they all had different offers. Um, and I chose one, uh, went out. Um, and I, I'll never forget the first night on the, the, the bandstand, the, the, the band leader was the trumpet player. Um, and he came up to me and said, okay, how fast can you play? <laughs> I said, Okay, right about here. So I showed that. He said, okay, cool. He goes, do you know what it means if I say play with a feel, two feel? I said, sure. Well, what about four feel? I said, yeah, here. And he said, okay, you and I are going to get along fine. <laughs> I thought, okay, this is great. <laughs> so we, uh, we get up on the bandstand that night, and uh, we get done with the show. I think we were just playing a comedian on and off. It was pretty easy. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, if this is all this is, this is going to be all right. Well, apparently at the end of the show, we were going to play – something as the folks were leaving the theater. And I think it was just like a B-flat blues. I don't know if it was straight no chaser. I can't remember which tune it was now. But anyway, he calls this thing, and and we get playing in it. And all of a sudden, about halfway through, he gets up, and he, he goes over to the grand piano and grabs a hold of the top of the lid and starts shaking it, screaming at the piano player to get off the stage. And I couldn't hear the guy, so I didn't know that he was absolutely butchering the B-flat blues. But apparently he was. And immediately I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? This guy's a monster. Well, 
I ended up spending a year and a half on that ship. And to this day, Andre Rice is one of my great, great friends, great mentors. Um, he, he's with the Basie Band right now in Hawaii as we speak. I, I'm so jealous. <laughs> he just it was in Japan with them, and then they flew to Hawaii to do some shows. And, and so, you know, I did not finish my formal training at a formal university, but I do like to joke that I did complete my education at the University of Andre Rice because over that year and a half's time, that band stayed together. It was a seven-piece band, four rhythm with three horns. And man, by the end of that, we could sight-read any piece of music you put in front of us. Because every day it was a different show backing up a different artist, different style of music. Uh, and, and there really was nothing that they could throw our way that we couldn't spit it right back out like we've been playing it forever. So I spent a total of about three-plus years on several different cruise lines really trying to get my act together um, so that I could move back to Nashville. And um, so my moving, after I got done with the ships, I did, I moved back to Nashville. Um, and within about two months time, I'd secured a position with a national touring act. Uh, this was again, an, another whole new experience for me, professionally speaking. Um, the music was a little bit uh, stylistically, uh, the first artist I toured with, it was a guy by the name of Eddie Raven. Um, he was from Louisiana. He was a Cajun, um, and a fantastic songwriter, fantastic singer. He'd had, I don't know, maybe about 12 number one hit songs, something like that in the eighties. Um, and was really, um, a fine singer, lots of soul, uh, really, really good, but, um, a reputation for being very difficult to work for. Uh, and to work with. And I certainly encountered a lot of that, but I spent three and a half years with him um, and came away with tremendous love and respect for him um, and his his abilities, his, his professionalism, uh, and really his, well, just, he gave me the first opportunity, you know, and I, I'm, I'm always going to be grateful to him for that. Um, we certainly had difficult, tense moments. Um, and so as a band, we really learned how to, um, we learned how to make it a gig of preventive maintenance. It was like, we all knew what the gig was and we knew what would set him off. So you just don't do that. I mean, it's kind of that simple, really. Um, but, uh, you know, that was my first experience getting to play very large venues for lots and lots of people, um, touring with, you know, on a big tour bus, uh, you know, getting a lot of the first class treatment in a lot of places. Um, and then, you know, getting the worst class treatment in a lot of places too. It's still the music business. Uh, so it really was, was, was a, um, a great experience getting to tour the country. Uh, and getting to work. I think one of my favorite things were, were the events where we would be on a multi-act bill with lots of other bands where we would get the opportunity to see the other performances as well as get some hang time with the other musicians. Uh, that was a great amount of fun. That usually happened at a lot of the big festivals that we'd play. Um, anyway, that kind of led me from there. I probably toured steadily for about my first 10 years in Nashville with different uh, country artists from... Obviously, I started with Eddie. Uh, when I left there, I was um, I left to join a new artist on RCA by the name of Andy Griggs. 
Um, Andy had a couple of records and, and a few good songs. Um, and God love him. I know he's still there doing some shows every now and then. I don't think he's doing too much anymore, but uh, uh, I did that for a bit. <laughs> and then uh, from there, um, I also worked with uh, folks Big and Rich, uh, Jody Messina. Um, Earl Thomas Conley was another uh, kind of country icon and legend that I had the opportunity to work with for for a couple of years and and that was a really interesting situation too with him um Earl was uh really huge in the 70s and 80s uh had many 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 dozens of hits uh and he had unfortunately gotten to a point in the early 90s where his his voice had gotten to a point with nodes and such where he really couldn't sing very well anymore It, it, it had taken its toll um and he worked his butt off to get his voice back into condition to where by the time I joined the group in 2003, I think it was, uh, I spent a couple years out there with him and he could sing pretty darn well at that point. He'd worked his way around it, um, to where he could, and quite frankly, his songs were so strong that he could pretty much get out there and stand behind the microphone and the crowd would sing the lyrics to him. So it was one of those experiences as well, where, you know, you have such uh, rabid fans that know every single word, every single song. Um, and he was able to just go out there and be who he was. And the crowd loved him for it. Um, even if he maybe hit a sour note here or there, but he really, out of that, I met again, some other really great folks that, you know, led to other gigs in my time there in Nashville. But after about 10 years of, of pretty solid road work, uh, I, I was really getting, um, pushed from some friends in town to, to kind of establish my identity in the town of Nashville. There are a set of musicians that are like the road musicians in town. And then there's a set of musicians that's more like the, the studio guys and the guys that are playing the gigs locally in the clubs and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, there are some that have been able to do both, but a lot of us kind of had to choose one or the other. Um, so I pushed really hard then uh, to try and establish myself more in town, uh, to stay in town a little bit more. And out of that, uh, you know, again, had incredible experiences working with world-class musicians. Um, I got to be really good buddies with um, uh, some of the guys in the band called the Mavericks. Um, Eddie Perez and Raul Malo, the lead singer in particular, um, worked with them on some some fantastic projects. And and uh, really enjoyed um, those guys a lot. And those were kind of my, I guess my end years, if you will, there in Nashville. Um, I finally got to a point there about five years ago where I'd done everything I wanted to do. I felt like I'd experienced a lot of what that town had to offer. And for me as a player, I was ready for some new challenges. So, um, Anyway, that that's kind of uh, you know my Nashville wrapped up in about five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> but it was about eighteen years of intensity. Wow. And when I moved to Colorado Springs, I set up my studio, I set up a couple drum sets, but I didn't pick up a pair of drumsticks for a couple of months. I was really burned out. Um, I'd been doing about five hundred gigs a year uh, at the time that I left, um, and you know that's no days off. That's a couple gigs a day most of the time. Um, and I just needed a break physically, mentally, psychologically, whatever you want to call it. Um, I guess I'll break there a little. You got about time for one more tune here. Oh my. Okay. All right. You want to do the chicken? Call it, or, or, uh, 
you had a couple other tunes here on your list. I'll tell you what. Let's um, let's do um, let's do uh, Cantaloupe Island instead. Is that okay? Yeah. Is that okay, guys? Okay. Well, thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam. You can catch this tune, this show on pod, on uh, iTunes as a podcast, 
And you can uh, definitely tune in every single week at 8 p.m. on Sundays. That's Mountain Daylight Time. You can also tune in on Tuesday nights at at 4 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, uh, 93.9. Or you can listen online at kcmj.org. Again, the show is a podcast on iTunes. Josh, thanks so much for coming in, man. Uh, really quick, we got yeah. about a minute. Sure. And uh, let me, what's going on in the future? Yeah. Um, well, I am, of course, here in Springs. Uh, I'm a music director here at Lucci Music in, up in the uh, northeast part of the Springs here. Uh, of course, working with lots of different types of groups. Um, kind of still traveling a little bit back and forth, actually, between here and Nashville uh, with some things as well that uh, uh, trying to just kind of keep my finger in the the pod over there as well but uh, you got a website uh, you know what right now i do not how lame is that i mean of course find me on facebook and uh all that good stuff uh josh burkheimer on facebook but anyway yeah man um that's what's happening all right well thanks so much josh <laughs> thanks for tuning coming in and to the studio we really appreciate coming in sure my pleasure again tune in to the colin truesdale jazz jam every sunday night at 8 p.m mountain daylight time this is a tune off of my quartet of jazz death album take care everybody
Thank you.